0: Welcome to our second episode of our class action podcast series. My name is Damien Grave and it's great to be joined today by two of our leading dispute resolution and class action practitioners, Helen Mould, an executive counsel based in Melbourne and Greg Rowan, a partner also based in Melbourne. Welcome to you both. The purpose of our podcast series is to spend a little time unpacking and discussing some of the current class action issues you might be seeing in the market, and also being discussed in the media. In the last episode, our colleagues touched on the current reform agenda in the class action space and some of the issues we're seeing. Today, over the next 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to take a deeper dive into one of those topics, the topic of litigation funding, to discuss some of the drivers for that growth, discuss a little bit more about contingency fees, Look briefly at one of the recent topics around common funds in class actions and also link this to the recent government announced inquiry into a review of litigation funding. So it's a full agenda for today and we'll do our best to move through it. Perhaps I might just set the scene a little bit in terms of the rise in funding to date in the Australian market. Australia has had a class action procedure for just over 25 years and when when it was first introduced into Australian law in 1992, it was not considered that litigation funding would use that regime to the extent it has to date. In fact, the Australian Law Reform Commission in its leading 1988 report, which led to the procedure being introduced, recognised and considered that significant financial disincentives existed for representative parties, and to address this, they recommended establish- establishing a special purpose fund for the purpose of funding class actions. The Commission in 2018 has observed that in the first 20 years of the Australian class action procedure, for the period to about 2013, approximately 15% of class actions were funded in the Federal Court. The Commission observed that approximately 49%, that is almost one in two class actions filed in the Federal Court between 2013 and 2016, were funded. Further, in the five years from 2013 to 2018, the percentage of funded class actions increased to 64 percent with funded class actions in the 2018 year being almost 78 percent of all file class actions and through that five-year period from 2013 to 2018 all shareholder class actions commenced in the federal court were funded so i might start with you helen and just ask a little bit more about some of the drivers that you've seen for the growth in litigation funding over this period?
1: I think there are a few different factors that explain the, um, the growth in litigation funding, and they're very much connected with the way in which the regime uh, has developed over that time. Um, the first factor, I think, is the um, pivotal decision of the High Court in Foster in 2006, which uh, confirmed the the funding arrangements in that case were not contrary to public policy. And in this way, it resolved a fundamental threshold question about the legitimacy of third-party commercial litigation funding in the Australian context. The next factor, I think, is the way in which we have an opt-out model for our class actions regime um, and we have no certification requirement here in the same way as um, for example in the US and I think this means that it's easier to commence claims in this jurisdiction. Uh, next I think the um, there was a decision in 2007 in multiplex which confirms that um, closed class Proceedings were acceptable, form of, of proceeding. Um, there had been some doubt about this, but um, the decision confirmed that they were acceptable. And in this way, funders could bring proceedings that were um, closed only to those people in, uh, who had signed up funding agreements with the funder. Uh, that really gave some certainty to funders about return. Uh, and I think it's a really key piece of. Um, particularly the development of shareholder claims and um, investor claims here. Next, um, just a few years ago, really, uh, in 2016, uh, the decision in MoneyMax, which uh, uh, paved the way for common fund orders to be made, was really key. Um, it, This meant that uh, funders could be awarded a payment, um, either at the time of a settlement approval or in a damages judgment, um, which would allow them to recover costs from the whole of the class. Um, This um, meant for funders a way of, um, I guess, much greater returns. And it's really been key to the last four, four years or so. Now, at the end of last year, there's a decision of the High Court in a matter called Brewster, which has really raised some significant uh, questions about common fund orders going forward. Um, But putting that aside, um, I think that narrative of developments explains the growth of uh, litigation funding to date. Um, The other thing to overlay alongside those legal changes is the fact that funding really is a global enterprise. And so um, what we see are funders who are looking actively to build their capacity, they're looking for more opportunities, more diverse opportunities, um, and that really has also contributed to the growth in, in, in funding that we've seen here.
0: So thanks, Helen. Um, it would be helpful if we could just re- to return in a moment to the topic of common fund orders which has been, as you say, a really important development since 2016. But perhaps before I do, we we might ask Greg for a comment around the nature of funders that that we've seen operating in this market. Helen, you've touched upon the global nature of some of these funders, which has certainly been an interesting development. And also, again, a comment uh, from Greg around contingency fees. But it's probably helpful to say, Greg, Greg, that under Australian law, There is currently a prohibition on contingency fees that is lawyers charging contingency fees, that is a prohibition on lawyers billing a client in relation to the amount recovered in a proceeding. The same restrictions do not, of course, apply to litigation funders. And I think in that really practical sense, litigation funding has filled the gap that lawyers weren't able to to enter. But the topic of lawyers charging contingency fees is not a new new one it's been considered by a number of regulatory b- bodies and law reform bodies over recent years and it'd be interesting for your thoughts on on those topics and things to watch yeah th-
2: thanks Damien so just starting with um, litigation funders as Helen said um, the growth in litigation funders um, in Australia has been um, significant in the ALRC's reports at the end of 2018 Um, The ALRC identified that um, since the foster decision, the number of litigation funders that are um, operating here has risen to approximately 25. And a number of those uh, funders are based um, offshore, um, some of them operating globally. As you say, the possible uh, introduction of contingency fees for class actions in Victoria is another really interesting um, development. Um, it raises the possibility of there being competition between litigation funders and plaintiff law firms in relation to the carriage of a proceeding, uh, hitherto, as you say, it's been unlawful for um, plaintiff, plaintiff law firms in Australia to charge contingency fees, so it's quite a, um, it's, it's quite a significant change. Uh, one aspect of the draft legislation that's currently before the Victorian Parliament is um, the, 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 the provision for the court to make what's called a group costs order, um, in, in which, amongst a range of other things, the court can specify the percentage of the overall recovery that's available to the um, plaintiff law firm. Um, the, the percentage uh, of, of the overall recovery that's available to the plaintiff law firm um, is, is not necessarily fixed, it's capable of being changed over time. And we know from other contexts that the question of what is an appropriate percentage can be quite a difficult one. Um, and there are um, diff- different views as, 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 as to what the right level is. So plainly, that's going to be an area in which the um, the, the role of the court uh, is going to be vital. Uh, another feature of the, um, the the proposed regime is that plaintiff law firms will be responsible for uh, adverse costs awards that are made in favour of of, of of defendants, and also liable for um, any security for costs that's ordered. So, quite significant obligations that um, that that can be imposed on on the plaintiff law firms that avail themselves of this regime. That said, um, early indications are that there are a number of plaintiff law firms that um, are uh, uh, intending to to avail themselves of of, of, of group costs orders
0: if they're introduced in the Victorian Supreme Court. thanks, Greg. There's certainly lots of interesting things to watch over the next period with contingency fees. Helen, you mentioned a little earlier um, about common fund orders and the decision in 2016 in MoneyMax. I'm wondering whether you could just share a few more thoughts about the nature of common fund orders and the interest of that in the context of litigation funding.
1: Sure. Um, So the decision in 2016 that we've been talking about, MoneyMax, is what established the um, ability to to have these orders uh, and funders would seek these orders. It gives them a basis on which they can receive a commission um, in respect of the whole of the class, not just the class members who have signed on with them. and so we did see after MoneyMax a number of these orders routinely being uh, being sought and made in class action proceedings in Australia. Uh, at the end of last year um, in the High Court decision in Brewster, um, the High Court uh, ruled that a particular provision of the Act, um, Section 33ZF, does not provide a basis for these orders uh, to be made. Um, and since then what we've seen is um, a few months of quite a significant amount of uncertainty about how Brewster should be interpreted going forward because what we've had is within a few weeks of Brewster the uh, federal court issuing an updated practice note uh, which uh, noted that orders basically similar in effect to a common fund order could be made at the time of a settlement approval under a different provision of the Act. And we've seen a few of those um, types of decisions made in settlement approvals since Brewster. But we've also seen um, a couple of decisions where uh, the um, court has taken a view that the um, approach in, in Brewster really should be interpreted as meaning that where a funding equalization order can be made, then that's the appropriate approach to take. And a funding equalisation order um, is different because what it means is taking the amount that the funder would have received um, from the signed up group members and then spreading that across the whole of the class. Um, So that leads to a different result. And we've even had another decision which has said that actually Brewster interpreted correctly should preclude um, any type of order uh, in like a What were common fund orders. So, all of that uncertainty, um, I think, means that there's a real lack of clarity about the types of orders that can be made in respect of of the costs of funding. Uh, We've had um, some calls for legislative reform to address that. Um, And I think what we're also starting to see is that funders are addressing it themselves by needing to return to. Uh, carrying out uh, more extensive book building from a uh, potential class before they begin begin a new proceeding.
0: Thanks, Helen. It, it will be really interesting to see, as you say, whether there is a re-emergence of book building in the way that you've described following some of these decisions. This growth in litigation funding, Greg, I think naturally leads the topic of regulation of funding and funders and it's, of course, not a new topic and is a large area of inquiry of its own right. But Greg, do you have some thoughts in that area?
2: Yes, thanks, David. As you say, it's a, a, a large topic and I, I might just offer some initial observations and, and areas to, to, to watch out for. Probably the place to start is that this um, um, will be um, at the forefront of the focus of the recently announced Parliamentary Joint Committee on Litigation Funding and the Regulation of the the Class Actions um, Industry. Um, The the terms of reference of of, of that committee are very broad. Uh, Essentially the the question that it's been tasked with considering is whether the present level of regulation of the class actions industry in Australia is impacting fair and equitable outcomes for, um, for, 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 for plaintiffs. Um, it's also worthwhile to, 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 to note that, in addition to the existing regulation of um, um, litigation funding, there have also been a number of calls for litigation funders to be subject to a licensing regime. That's intended to improve um, their capital adequacy and also uh, to improve the level of um, d- disclosure that is given to um, consumers. That's something that the ALRC looked at a couple of years ago. Where the ALRC came out is um, that um, wholesale reform shouldn't be made, uh, but instead there should be increased oversight um, from the courts. Uh, That said, uh, the Australian government is is now looking at the issue, um, and in May the Treasurer um, announced, and I'm I'm going to quote here, "The, the, the government is committed to ensuring that litigation funders are subject to greater regulatory oversight by requiring them to hold an AFSL and comply with the managed investment scheme regime. Um, And also that the government is committed to ensuring that litigation funders in Australia operate transparently, are appropriately regulated and accountable. Um, Now, of course, any regulation has to work with the the unique and important role of the court in protecting the interests of group members. And the court over the years has been vigilant in, in protecting those interests by, for instance, um, reviewing settlement terms and um, funding commissions, um, and, um, and g- generally in, in, in the conduct of the, of the case over, the, o-
0: over its life. Thanks, Greg. That's certainly an area to watch over coming months. The submissions as to the Joint Parliamentary Inquiry are due on 11 June, with hearings to follow in July, and the committee is due to report by 7 December. We might leave it there for today, Helen and Greg, that's been a great discussion and we could have spent a while on each of these topics. Thank you to you both for sharing your thoughts and insights today. Thank you also to our clients for the opportunity to discuss these issues with you. It's our privilege to work with and assist you as you face some of these issues. We hope everyone's found this discussion helpful today Please join us for the next episode in a couple of weeks when some of our other colleagues will talk about some of the current issues in the market and taking the headlines in the media. Until then, stay safe, everyone, and thank you.